The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Well, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, helping to keep women and men connected on air with information and conversation. And joining me is my co-host, Lauren Dollar-Blake. She is founder of Big Fish Nation, CEO of Big Fish Nation, and business coach. Big Fish Nation is committed to helping women entrepreneurs create financially successful and sustainable businesses. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm doing great. Well, good, because we're going to start right off. We've got several guests during this hour, but we've got two guests on right now. They're here with us. Uh, former Wall Street exec who has turned caregiver and blogger is here to share his tips on his success in dealing with Alzheimer's. His mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2004. And physician Mark Brody, who is a neurologist and nationally recognized expert in Alzheimer's disease management. Alzheimer's is a... I, I, at my stage, know so many people who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so the numbers are staggering. Um, Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Nice to have you on this morning. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, Let's let's go first with you, Bob. Uh, Bob DeMarco, uh, Wall Street executive and now a caregiver. Uh, You really had to shift gears to take care of your mother who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, And now you've become a leader, I guess, and an editor of one of the nation's largest Alzheimer's disease caregiver blogs. So talk to us about that. Um, Well, the, the blog itself was really a natural metamorphosis out of my own caregiving. Um, I had lots of experience before I put the blog up. Um, It's basically dedicated uh, to the art of Alzheimer's caregiving. So what I'm trying to do there is uh, select out the best advice to keep caregivers informed. Um, But you're right, before... Uh, yeah, I started to see how you know what happened. I mean, this I want to learn when a family member is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's a shock, right? I mean, it's something that you don't expect. I, I would assume it seems to just you know come from nowhere. Uh, well, in my case, uh, not only was it a shock, it took me many months uh, and really fourteen months before we got a diagnosis. So, I mean, the behavior or the memory problems are. Uh, really foreign to a typical person if you don't have any experience with Alzheimer's. So, yeah, it's a shock, and often there's uh, certainly, like in any shock of that type, there's a certain amount of denial and there's a certain amount of grief associated with the beginning. So when your mother was diagnosed, how did you happen to be, how were you the one in the family to be the one to be the caregiver? Because, I mean, um, was this by choice, or did the family say, okay, Bob, you know, you've got to do it, or, or what, was, what happened? Um, well, I like to say this, and I'm, I'm not the only one, but I was the one in our family, and I just happened to be the youngest. So I came to try to figure out what was going on, and I never left. Um, so if you're asking me if I had a choice, uh, yes, I did. I chose to become an Alzheimer's caregiver. Uh, I certainly had alternatives. I could have 
look for some type of assisted living facility that would have uh, met her needs at the time, but I did not consider that. I just decided to do it on my own. I moved in her home in a way. Doctor, I want to ask you this question. What was the most difficult thing for you, or what is the most difficult for you in caring for your mother? What would you say uh, the most overriding issue that you had to deal with in terms of caring for someone with Alzheimer's or a loved one, in this case your mother? For me, and and again, this is pretty common. At the beginning, it was her mean-spirited behavior. My mother said things to me that were so mean, I wouldn't repeat them on the air, and were shocking. But in my case, because I had a good relationship with my mother over the course of my life, it was easy for me to understand that this was part of what was going on in her brain, and her brain was sick. But on an ongoing basis, you have to be very careful with someone suffering from Alzheimer's because they don't react uh, to yelling or giving them orders or getting them out of their pattern uh, like you and I would. So the most difficult thing for me on an ongoing basis is to make sure I don't do something that triggers some kind of mean-spirited behavior. So, Dr. Brody, this is Dr. Mark Brody. Um, Tell us, what about this? Is this something that's very common, this mean-spirited behavior in Alzheimer's patients? Because here you are trying, giving up your life, and you're taking care of your loved one, and you're doing all this stuff, and then they're seemingly turning on you, it would seem to me that would be really difficult to deal with. So from a medical perspective, tell us, um, you know, what can one do or what is it some, you know, how to handle this kind of behavior in an Alzheimer's patient? Well, everybody's different, and uh, changes in behavior, although common, are different for everybody. Some people, like Bob's mom, become agitated and what he's saying is mean-spirited. Other people become very socially withdrawn. Some people become very inappropriate and aggressive. So everyone's different, but not uncommon. And we, as from the medical point of view, we help give the, the caregiver some insight into what's going on and help them realize that this is a, a, a disease and it's affecting the brain and how to handle uh, deal with their loved one without getting enmeshed and personally taking all, all, all the behavior personally and taking a step back and trying to come up with uh, strategies and tactics of uh, how to deal with your loved one and, and, and really still have your own life before you uh, get burned out. Yeah, Dr. Brody, I think that's the key. How does one have, how do you have your own life? And what are the expectations? You know, you talk about each patient is different, each family is different. Um, you know, some families are able to cope with a patient, uh, with a loved one who has Alzheimer's. I think others maybe are not. And then what do you do? So uh, I guess I'm, I'm asking both of you this question. How much is expected and how do you, how does the caregiver, since there are so many of us who are going to be caregivers who are caregivers, um, is there a point where maybe some families can't do it? I mean, just, I'll start by answering that. Um, You're right. Um, The statistics show that about 40% of Alzheimer's caregivers suffer from depression. So I think right then and there it gives you uh, an idea how difficult it can be. Um, There are always alternatives, and the alternative is, are you going to do you want to keep the person at home, or was that their wish? And if that's the alternative, then you have to get educated. It's not easy to do, and Frankly, this is why the Alzheimer's reading room exists and why it's growing so fast. Of course, there's always the alternative of some type of uh, Alzheimer's care facility or uh, one that I like, 
which is called adult daycare, um, where you can send a patient for either four or eight hours to a facility where they'll paint, uh, listen to music, sing, play games, that kind of thing. Uh, that can help reduce Alzheimer's caregiver stress tremendously. What about, Bob, you mentioned earlier, you just said that you had a great relationship or a good relationship with your mother so that when she starts acting out or she starts saying uh, inappropriate things, maybe even nasty things, you know who you, you're, you had a strong relationship to begin with before the onset of Alzheimer's. What do you say for patients, and maybe this is a question for the doctor, Dr. Brody, um, what about patients and loved ones or not so loved ones where they didn't have such a great relationship? Then are they going to be, how do they then, being put in this caregiver situation, how can they take care of, of, of the, you know, this family member that supposedly, uh, they, you know, they should be doing, they should be caring for this person? And maybe they, it's, it's not working out. Is that clear? Is that question clear? You know, it certainly happens. It's a good question. Um, when people come in, if there was, you know, fundamental problems with relationship or issues that uh, that existed before the patient got the disease, those are magnified, and some people just decompensate. They're just unable to uh, give care. On the other hand, there are some people, uh, and many people, I'm, I'm happy to say, who are able to actually turn a bad thing and into a good situation where they can come together and now have a, a, a deeper relationship. It takes real courage from the caregiver. But I have to tell you, sometimes that's, um, that's, a, that's a life-changing thing for caregivers. And sometimes, unlike uh, Bob's situation, um, people become, their personality changes to the better, where they may have been an aggressive person, and now they become... Um, more calm and uh, more willing to, you know, to be with their, with their wife or their husband. Doesn't happen quite as often, but it happens. And in every in each case is individual. We, you know, well, it just depends thing, though, on Dr. the situation. Brody, is that there, it's difficult to predict. With, uh, let's say the early onset of uh, the onset of Alzheimer's, exactly how the disease is going to predict progress and affect the patient's behavior. So there's a lot of kind of nebulous stuff here, which I would think would make it even more difficult because you don't really know what's going to happen. Is that what I hear you saying? I mean, you don't know how it's going to affect the brain. Each person is different. One person may become passive, another more aggressive. So as a caregiver, and I don't know if you experienced this, Bob, I mean, that's very difficult, uh, you know, when you don't really know what to expect. It would seem to me you'd need a lot of support, both medical, psychological, friends. I mean, is, is, could, would you respond to that in terms of how it's been for you and your relationship with your mother? Well, first, you're right. Uh, the typical Alzheimer's caregiver, and this is most of us, uh, Alzheimer's strikes, and you could put everything we know in a thimble. You don't learn about it in college. Uh, you don't take courses in it, and certainly when you start to uh, experience behaviors and memory problems, there's nothing within your frame of reference uh, that helps you to deal with that. So you're forced to try to learn how to deal with it, and, and at the same time you're forced to learn how to communicate with somebody that has Alzheimer's disease. To go back to your earlier question, yes, there are. I have hundreds of examples via email or comments on my blogs where people have not had 
good experience with their parents, a man or a woman, and that certainly makes it more difficult. But Dr. Brody is right. You know, I've watched it happen on my blog where people change from um, being angry. Uh, they can't understand why it's them. Uh, they don't really want to do it. And sometimes a negative, as he says, turns into a positive over time. And a lot of that happens on the Alzheimer's reading room because they get to read comments um, by lots of very positive caregivers that are trying to learn new tips and new advice. Um, but, yes, it's, it, it's hard to describe what happens in the beginning because you're dealing with a person. It's the same person, but they're, they've changed because part of their brain is sick, and you're trying to deal with all the emotions that come along uh, in trying to understand that this is going to be a long, drawn-out affair and somebody has to take responsibility and the person that takes the front row is the Alzheimer's caregiver. So, I mean, I would think that something, obviously, your blog, the Alzheimer's Reading Room blog, how do we get to that? Because if that seems like it's, you, you've described it as uh, you get an average of 26,000 visitors per month. Boy, 26,000 visitors per month. There is a need for this kind of information. And uh, any of our listeners may want to be going to the blog as, as we speak. So how do we get to your blog, the Alzheimer's Reading Room blog? Okay, uh, it's easy to get there. It's all one word, no hyphens, no apostrophes, alzheimersreadingroom.com, or you can type Alzheimer's Reading Room in a Google search, and the link to the blog will pop right up on the top. All right, so easy to get to information. Um, we only have a couple minutes left, and I don't want to leave anything out. So, um, Dr. Bowie, is there anything you know specific? I mean, if someone is listening to us and saying, you know, maybe... Um, maybe my mother or my father has Alzheimer's. What are, you know, just what would be some of the early symptoms? What do we need to look out for? Well, as we mentioned, change in behavior um, that, you know, people notice, the uh, loved ones and family, and forgetfulness to the point where you know, people are misplacing things. They're tending to tell the, ask the same questions over and over again, tell the same stories. They're having trouble doing things that they did easily, like bounce their own checkbook, pay bills. They're, uh, they may have some fender benders where they're, when they're driving. They may have trouble with directions. These are all concerns that, uh, that would uh, push somebody to take their loved one to a, a neurologist or a memory expert. We're much better at making an early diagnosis and making the distinction between what's normal aging and what's really a problem. And there are treatments out there, especially now combination treatments with the drugs that we have that can really slow things down. And Bob's uh, mom was on a combination of Aricept and Namenda, and that really helped uh, her, especially. So there is, I hate to cut you short because, uh, you know, there's so much more to talk about with this disease. But um, I want to make sure that listeners know, again, that they can go to this, the, uh, the Alzheimer's website, the blog, the blog, Alzheimer's Reading Room blog, for more information. Um, Bob, let, let me just tell you, if, if you wanted to get uh, more information about uh, diagnosis, uh, treatment, and what's going on uh, right now, for, there's exciting research going on, you could, uh, you could uh, contact us and see what's going on at brainmattersresearch.com. Right, brainmattersresearch.com, so those are really two good places, two good sites where you can go for information. Bob DeMarco and Dr. Mark Brody, thank you so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you. Great to have you. I'm Catherine Zotz. I'm your social worker with a microphone. 
Uh, don't go away. We have several guests coming up in the next hour. We'll be back in a minute. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone, and Lauren Bella-Blake, my expert, business expert, and CEO and founder of Big Fish Nation. Um, Lauren, I, I, as we do each week, we're kind of uh, a little behind the eight ball today. We're going in to talk about your blog. Usually we kind of open up with that, but um, what's new on Lauren's blog on Big Fish Nation? You can go to bigfishnation.com. What matters more to your business, being kind or being right? This is the topic that you discussed this week, and I think this is a huge issue when it comes to women and business. It is. It's a, big, it's a big topic. Yeah. So tell us, what matters more to your business, being kind or being right? 
always having, be, always being kind, it's coming before being right, or what does that mean in terms of women and running their businesses? Well, I think that our natural tendency from leadership in the 20th century is that right is more important, and right is a strong leader. But I actually don't agree with that. I actually believe that um, being kind and allowing right to go by the wayside sometimes actually makes for a stronger leader. Yeah. And there'd be so many people who would disagree with you. I, I mean, know. A lot of people I, would I disagree with me. <laughs> especially <laughs> men and especially, I think, generally older women. Traditionally, it's about being right. You have, you're being sure of yourself. You, you, you're in control. Let's say you're the manager or the, the head of a company or just, you know, the major person running your entrepreneurial business. You're right, and people have to follow you. And if you that's don't right. have good, that's part of being good leadership qualities, but you're saying that's not so. It's so not what's the so. advantages of being kind? Well, I think it's actually, there's a way to allow, it's not about right and wrong. Kindness actually embraces other people and gives them a sense that you're hearing them, seeing them, acknowledging them. Um, where right just is, um, to me, so standoffish and not a leader quality of the 21st century. But what does it, what does it do? I mean, if you are always right, what's the negative? Give us the, well, what are the negatives? Like, if you think you're always right. Well, yeah, if you're you always know, working you on up. making yourself right, then there's usually someone that you're making wrong. And that doesn't feel good to be on the receiving end of that as a vendor, as a client, as a potential client. It's, it's so if not you have, inclusive. Yeah. If you have a team and you are always proving, having to prove yourself right in terms of your business, then you are alienating the rest of your team, and it's not a collaborative effort. I think that's what I isn't that what you're saying? And then you can't really accomplish what you need to do within the context of that business. That's part of it, for sure. Yeah. That is definitely yeah, we part Susan of it. Susan on the line. What was Hello, that? How are you? Uh, Susan Hello? Shapiro Barish, author of "You're Grounded Forever," but first, let's go shopping. Uh, the challenges mothers face with their daughters and ten timely solutions. Uh, Susan is. The author of the, she has two daughters actually. She's a gender studies professor, and she has two daughters herself. And always women's issues—that's that's her area of expertise. So, welcome to the show, Susan. Nice to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me on. How are you? I'm fine. We thought we missed you. <laughs> oh. Well, you're finally here. Good. All right, let's I'm talk here. about your book because this is. Uh, I do, I have three sons. Lauren has a daughter. My co-host. I, but I am a daughter, so I understand what you're talking about in the context of the book. But mother and daughter relationships are always fraught with challenges, whether you're three or years old, a teenager, or you're grown up. So, um, what do I, let's talk about the, the reason for writing this book for you. Well, first, I want to say that I have a son as well, and he is in the middle of my daughters, and that it is, as most of the women said with whom I spoke, I spoke with 300 women for the book, you know, 200 for the text, and then um, another 100 for the questionnaire at the end, and almost all of them said it is so much more challenging to raise a daughter than a son. And I wrote the book because my last book was on toxic friendships and how complicated female friendships are. And recently I wrote a book on female rivalry, and a lot of my research indicated that mothers really are the models for their daughters in in these relationships. And I thought it was time to write a book about mothers and daughters today, 21st century mothers and daughters. All right, 21st century mothers and daughters. What's the difference, because you are a daughter, and so 
I think probably you were a 20th century daughter like myself. <laughs> and so it just, yeah. Uh, what is the major difference with the, in terms of relationships to mother-daughter's 21st century as opposed to 20th century? What are some of the other new issues, old issues, or, or, or is there a difference? There are old issues and new issues, and both the old and the new issues are much more intensified. It's as if being a mother is now not just a role, but a job. And mothers today are so involved with their daughters, and the world is a much tougher place than, yes, I am a 20th century daughter, than when we were raised in the 20th century. And the mothers are really struggling. They second-guess their decisions. They feel that their daughters are emboldened, you know, have a tremendous voice and, and strong needs. And it's perplexing because virtually every mother wants to do a good job. Yeah, well, the intentions are good, but um, what is it? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. That <laughs> may be describing mother and daughter relationships. I don't know. But I want to get really specific because I think there are some differences, and, and you do mention these. I mean, I find my my friends, I don't know about you, Lauren, but who have daughters, um, teenage daughters and, and, and even older daughters are so connected because they're connected by email and phone and they give more, they give advice to, you know, whether it's advice on having, you know, sex with their boyfriends or whether it's advice at their job. Um, I don't know if that's so good. To me, it seems like it's it's too close. It's too ingrained, too enmeshed. It is. It is sometimes too close. And one of the chapters I have, because you know, the ten chapters are the ten challenges that mothers face today, is that there aren't enough boundaries. That mothers and daughters really, you know, the hierarchy isn't there. That you. You might be intrigued by the idea of being your daughter's best friend, but it's much more important to be the authority figure. So, how, so what do we do? I mean, how do I mean? I don't, at least in my experience, with and I'm just talking, you know, antidote, but with my girlfriends, um, they they just stay connected. What's going to be? I, I wonder about these women in terms of decision making and making their own choices. Uh, if they're always turning to their mother for advice and guidance and telling them what to do, how are they going to be in terms of when they're mothers or when they have the responsibility of making choices on their own? Um, it seems to me this is not such a good role model in the 21st century. Well, it doesn't really foster independence. I have a whole chapter on that, too. I mean, if you're giving your daughter mixed messages, if you're enabling her, if you're making excuses for her, if she comes home even in the downturn and tells you she doesn't like her boss and you say, you know, no worries, quit the job instead of tough it out, or, no, you're not helping her. And the world, she won't be prepared for a world that isn't really quite as cushy as, you know, having a mom like this. So we have to really think big picture. What about your own daughters? And because you have daughters, but they're different. They have different personalities, different skills, and a, and a different. Each one has a, a unique relationship with you. Tell us about like some specific experiences that you've had with your own daughters, good and bad, that kind of define this mother-daughter relationship. Well, my daughters are almost seven years apart, and as I said, my son Michael is in the middle, and my daughters are really, um, you know, the younger one, uh, to be honest, I think takes up all the oxygen in the room. And she's always had that style. But actually, I have a mother like that. So that, you know, they're really good people and, they're and you know, they're moral people. But they, but they are more demanding in some ways than 
than a different personality type. My older daughter... easier for you because that's familiar to you because you've dealt with that relationship. Your own mother takes up all the energy in the room so that you know how to cope with that. You know how to deal with that. Even yeah, you're, um, I, it's true. I'm accustomed to it and I understand their type. Um, but I, I think so highly of both my, my daughter who's like that and my mother because they're, I think, very good people and of course I love them. And, um, she, and that daughter just broke up with her boyfriend and it was really quite a weekend. And my older daughter is engaged. You know, both daughters, the younger daughter just graduated college a few months ago and is working in New York where we live and my older daughter works in New York as well and she is engaged and that's very exciting for our family. I think he's great and um, we have these talks about planning a wedding and it's so interesting to me because she, you know, people say to me, you must be planning a wedding. Actually, we're not. She wants a small private wedding. This is her decision and I respect it. I don't think I'll get to invite friends but she wants, you know, so these are these are some of the ways that, you know, my life is going with my daughters. But the one thing I will say is whether your daughter is 3 or 35, based on my study, it's an ongoing, you know, role. You, you know, mothering is in in the 50s and 60s, it was very defined. You know, you, your mother sent you off to college and you were supposed to become independent. There was no helicopter mothering, which I write about in the book. But And, to, you know, today mothers hover over their daughters. So, yes, I'm more involved than, say, my mother was with my life. Uh, well, you said something important, at least to me. I mean, it's an evolving relationship. Uh, the definition of the relationship evolves. So it seems to me that you always have to kind of be, you have to have a good sense of yourself and be aware of how the dynamics of the relationship so that if you need to change, you're able to change, you know, not get stuck in this, you know, very static mother-daughter role. It's very important that you ask yourself, am I really doing what's best for my daughter? And that means when your daughter's, I interviewed one woman for the book who said that her six-year-old daughter needed sneakers. So she went to, you know, like a Walmart while her daughter was in school, picked up the sneakers, gave them to her that afternoon, and the daughter flipped out and said, no, those are the wrong sneakers. You know you had to buy me this kind of sneaker because all the other girls will laugh. And I won't have what everyone else has. So we live in a world where our influence is not as great, even at an early age with daughters, as peer pressure, celebrity culture, materialism, brand buying. And so we have to, we have to be aware of that. You know, where, where do you pick and choose your battles? Where do you give in? Where do you say, no, absolutely not. That's against my values. Well, you bring up a good point, and I have to go back to the 20th century mothering and, and talk about my own mother because she, and she was a social, is a social worker, um, and had that background and experience. I read, and I'm, I'm listening to your story at, um, and I'm thinking, I, when I was six years old and I had to go to a party and needed a party dress, my mother would go down to the local store, you know, Walmart type store and pick out six dresses, bring them home and asked them, six that she approved of, and asked and, and gave me the choice. So I certainly felt like I, this is at six years old, I felt like I had a choice, uh, because here are six dresses, and I get to pick the one I want. But and a cool mother. Time, my mother had already picked the ones that were appropriate. Right. So it was a win-win situation, and I felt good about myself, and it, it, you know, it eliminated just what happened in this story, you know, me yelling at her and telling her, or having a tantrum, whatever. 
So she was a smart lady. This was many, many years ago. Very cool. And my mother also, I think, was always very cool and very open-minded. And I remember when I left for college, we had this whole talk about birth control. But, in, but you know, that's a conversation you have today long before college. So the world is really very slick and fast-paced for our daughters. Yes. They grow up very quickly. And when we come back, we're with Susan. Stay with us. Susan Shapiro-Barish, author of Your Grounded Forever, but first let's go shopping. I want to talk about that. What the, the talk you have to have with your daughter these days about birth control and sex. Very different. That's very different than it was, say, 40 years ago. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What's holding you back from doing what you want to do? Is it fear? Is it other people? Is it responsibility? Live life to its fullest. Get inspired with Dick and Florence Noget will give you the tools you need to experience self-fulfillment and overcome setbacks in your life. If you wish to improve the world you live in, you can move forward and make a difference. Turn your dreams into action. Get inspired. You'll want to listen live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and we are back with Susan Shapiro-Barish. Uh, you're grounded forever, but first let's go shopping. And we've been talking about, her book is about relationships between mothers and daughters. Um, fought with all kinds of stuff, right, Susan, Lauren? Um, before we took the break, Susan, you said one of the things that 21st century mothers have to do is have that talk with their daughters about sex and birth control. And I think it's, it's different than it was perhaps 40 years ago. Maybe the talk comes earlier. <coughs> and how do you handle Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Well, you have to really sit down, even though it has a kind of high ick factor for some daughters, according to the mothers, to have to sit and talk with your daughter, but you have to talk to her about sexually transmitted diseases, which we didn't talk about 40 years ago because it wasn't really, you know, on the table, and to talk about getting birth control at a much younger age because you just are there to protect your daughter, not because you think it's a great idea, but because it's an option that has to be addressed. 
So you have to talk to your daughter about, you know, what what sex means, you know, why loving someone is so different. There is a new trend that I'm sure you've heard of called decompartmentalized sex where girls maybe 13, 14 or running around in crowds, even 15, and they're having oral sex with these boys and they're not really attached in any way and it's not really you know, a loving relationship, and that's very, very detrimental for our daughters. So, so I write about that. In I understand it starts in, in middle school. You have these young oh. girls having oral sex with boys in, in the bathrooms at school, and this is in. in I guess it goes across, runs across the the socioeconomic gamut. Um, it's in our suburban schools. Uh, how prevalent is that? I mean, and how do you prevalent. deal with that? Uh, it, you know what? You're right. It is across the board. I, I interviewed women in small towns, rural areas, cities, suburbs, and this is a big concern, and it's so demoralizing for the daughters. So the mothers have to be brave, really, because it's not the you know most fun conversation. It's not like talking about your prom dress. And they have to sit down with their daughters when they're about 12, even younger, and say, now look. You know, I don't approve of this, and it's not good for you for myriad reasons. And to, and then to really get into the whole conversation, and, and that's what I recommend, but it is an issue. Is this something that you had to do with your own daughters? I did. I did. And the first time I heard about it was with my older daughter, who's now 30. And I couldn't believe it. And then some friends started talking about it, and then I went to a meeting at school, and they talked about it. They, they started talking about it. And with my younger daughter, they had a meeting, I think, when she was about 13 with the mothers to talk about what was going on. So it's, re- and, but it's way beyond my, my daughter's. It's just happening, as I said, across the country. And it's really concerning for the mothers because that's not what sex should be about. And so they need, you know, so we need to protect our daughters as best we can. But again, as I said earlier in the show, this herd mentality, this business of our daughters being caught up in what their friends do often trumps our, you know, voice of wisdom and reason. Why do you think that now, Susan, uh, why do you think that now in this particular time period that young girls feel the need or, I mean, you talk about there's a herd mentality, but there are some girls let's say, who won't do that, who are not going to go in the bathroom and perform oral sex on these young boys. What prevents them from doing it? And they're still popular. I mean, can we look at some of the positive behavior? Is that because maybe they have a good relationship with their, their, their mothers and they feel good about themselves? And uh, it's not simply just having that talk. It goes deeper than that. You know, self-esteem is what you're really talking about. If your daughter, and this is what we really need to do as mothers, to build our daughter's self-esteem, and to give them the confidence to understand that they're individuals and that what they do is their style. You know, each of our daughters has her own style, and while there are trends and, of course, influences, and, you know, we know that, that you want your daughter to, to be strong enough to say no to what doesn't feel right for her. So in doing that, I think it kind of goes back to what we had initially talked about, in order to feel good about yourself and have good feelings of self-esteem, you also have to make your own choices. Make a choice, make a good choice, feel good about it, feel like you've accomplished something. So if you have these helicopter moms always there telling, guiding, it's more than just guiding, but help really actually, you know... Enabling, I would call it enabling. (laughs) Enabling. 
yeah. you have a problem because then that's not a way of building self-esteem. This is not how these girls are going to feel good about themselves. No, and, and the worst part is is that, again, we do it with the best intentions, but we're giving a mixed message. We're saying, we'll do that for you. You can't really handle it. And I have a whole chapter on what to do with, you know, with that whole message to your daughter. And then at the same time, but we want you to be independent and self-sufficient. So the daughter gets confused. You know, so far you've done everything for her, and she hasn't really developed the skills to do it herself. Socially, in terms of any kind of glitch in school, I'm talking about seventh grade, fifth grade, college. You know, if you're helicopter mothering, your daughter really doesn't get to you know, win, win and lose her own battles. But, but you, you hope that you're helping her, but it, it makes it much more difficult, really. Yeah, such an important point because I think it's that feeling, I don't want them to experience any pain. I want to make mm-hmm. sure that everything goes right. Well, the world, the real world, everything doesn't go right, mm-hmm. and you do have to experience pain, and it's important to do that along the way so you know how to handle it, handle your mistakes and handle those poor choices. Or, or And I think that, if you deprive, and you call it enabling, but if you deprive your daughters from doing that, I think you wind up with really daughters who are not prepared to go out into the real world. and get They do get caught up in the, well, even the sexual stuff that you're talking about, not feeling good about themselves. And what else happens, I noticed in my study, is that the daughters, as we said, grow up very quickly and experience this, you know, this oral sex early, all of it, you know, the way they dress, what they're, you know, smoking, and in drugs and drinking, all of it comes very quickly, much more than the 20th century daughter. And then, ironically, they get to college, and then they're finished, time flies, and they're home. Because, the, because this emerging adulthood is another part of the 21st century young person's life, and that means that you're not quite an adult, and you look at the world, and it looks really scary, and you come home to live. There are no yeah. jobs or few jobs. And so what parents are now talking about, mothers are saying, and now my 23-year-old, who at 13 I couldn't even control, is home and sort of wants me to coddle her. That story is like so typical and prevalent. I hear that story all the time. It's true. And you know what? You're, you said your daughter's young, right? She's only four, yeah. Almost yeah, five. so you know, someone who has a four-year-old might be listening to me and saying, oh, this won't be happening to me. And uh, and yet, you know, it's almost inevitable that a lot of this will happen because this is what the culture yields. Yeah, I, know, totally when, when hear, I hear that. And here I am, a mother of four, saying that. You know, that's not going to happen. And, I'm, and I look at myself of how, what do I say that will change that? Well, you know, at four years old, you still control her universe. Absolutely. So it, it, it feels like you'll know what to do. But as it comes and evolves, it's kind of like the mothers are kind of, you know, thrown off, off kilter from it. So I think, you know, well, you could read my book. Yeah, <laughs> what definitely. I, I mean, this is a guidebook with solutions because it re- we really do have to prepare ourselves, even if our daughters are young. And as I said, you know, you can take care of everything for them right now, and it's appropriate. And what because, would you say, if you could give one tip to those of us with four-year-olds, what would you say the one tip would be from your book? Watch how quickly it all happens. 
watch how quickly your daughter by kindergarten will know who the it girl is, the popular girl, the girl who kind of intimidates her, um, so that already the machinations of female friendship are, are kind of, you know, in the picture. And listen to her when she says, I have to have those Ugg boots or whatever it is that the in crowd is wearing, because you're picking and choosing your battles much more quickly today. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, yeah. um, I heard this great saying by Wayne Dyer years ago. I love Wayne Dyer. He has eight children, and he, uh, it was, he was doing a live seminar, and he said that the best thing he ever said to his kids were, you know what to do. And I thought that was such a good... You know yes, what to do. Lauren, that's a great... We're gonna, we have to take a break right now, but I think that's a good uh, message to mm-hmm. take the break on. Uh, you're listening to Lauren Della Blake, Catherine Fox on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio... Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your teams. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zoxia, social worker with the microphone with Lauren Bell Blake. And we're here to say goodbye to our guest, Susan, uh, Susan, Leah, uh, Susan Shapiro Barish. And she's author of Your Ground is River, but first let's go shopping. You can buy her book at bookstores everywhere. And finally, I've been, I've said goodbye to you three times, Susan, but thank you for having you on the show me today. on. It's always great to be on your show. Thanks yeah, for the thank you so much. All right. Great. We have a new guest coming up. We have, uh, our next guest is from Liberty Partnerships Rising Stars Program from the School of Social Welfare at the University at Albany. I'm an all that is my alma mater. And we are going to talk to the director of that program, Candy Griffin Jenkins. Welcome to the show, Candy. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you. Nice to be on. Great to have you. Um, you're on with me and my co host, Lauren Bella Blake. Hi, Hello. Lauren. Okay, so uh, Candy, tell us, the Liberty Partnerships Rising Stars Program, and you, this program is, has partnered with the School of Social Welfare, University of Albany in That's New York. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the mission of the program? What do you do? What is the, what is the Liberty Partnership? 
Uh, our program is uh, was set up through the state education department to encourage young women and men, uh, grades seven to twelve, to achieve academic personal excellence. Uh, we also work with our students to obtain um, their high school diploma, and our goal is to help them to ultimately reach higher education. You know, by attending either a two or four year school. Uh, but many do go off into the workforce, and so we also provide workforce preparation for our students as well. Um, so the can, goal of our can, program, yes, Candy, uh, I want to interrupt you because I want to know what was the when, how long has the program been in existence, and what was the need for this? Are these students that you uh, choose that you pick out that you are, that are at risk in the Albany area, yes, Albany, New correct. York? Uh, how does students get into this kind of a program? Okay, well, we've been in existence since 1992 here at the University of Albany. We were originally at the Center for Women in Government, and then last year uh, we had some changes and moved to the School of Social Welfare. The way that students get into our program is that they there are 12 um, risk factors, you know, that uh, that students need in order to get in, you know, one of those 12. And so our students are selected via whether it be parents, word of mouth, you know, student to student, guidance counselors. Uh, we work with students grades 7 through 12 in the city of Albany, and they can attend any school in the city of Albany. So it doesn't have to just be, you know, the, the public schools in the area. We serve all students who are in need of our support services. So tell us about, Kenny, tell us about, you're the director of the program. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> we're listening, I mean, there are so many, and we, I don't know the statistics of students who are at risk across the country, and I know this program is also exists in other Towns in That's New correct. York State. That's We're a statewide program. Yeah. yeah. So that it and but you have been very successful, and not all of them have achieved the success that you have in keeping these students in school and having them go to uh, on to college, either four-year colleges or two-year colleges. Why do you think that your particular program and helping these students at risk works? I believe we work because we work with a whole student. It's not just about, you know, maintaining a certain grade point average. Our staff works very hard. We have social workers on staff. We work with um, teachers and, you know, other, uh, you know, folks in the area who really want to see our students uh, become successful. And so because we work with that whole student and we provide, you know, a variety of different services for them, it truly makes a difference in the way that they're able to understand why they need to, you know, do well for themselves and that there is a future for them. Many of the students that we work with don't, you know, really understand that the work that they put in today is going to truly impact them tomorrow and that it's bigger than, you know, just their academic performance. And, and yes, that's obviously important. I don't want to, you know, give that impression, but it's, it's important for them to understand who they are and how they want to contribute to this world. And we want them to be whole people when they leave our program. So, Candy, what you're doing is looking at the whole student, the whole, the whole child, student, not just their academic performance, but their relationships at home, their relationships everywhere. Yeah, and that, are they eating? Are they, you know, do they need glasses? Are you know what what else is going on? With, are they having problems with friends? Are they being bullied? Are you know, there's so many different issues that our students are dealing with. So bullying is a big issue. That's a whole other topic. We'll have to have you on the show for that one. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, what are some of, you know, we have a few minutes left. Candy, what are some of the, uh, the, the roadblocks, I would say, to, uh, being able to accomplish your goals and to achieve your mission with these kids? Do parents get in the way? Do teachers get in the way? Maybe you can share a story or two with us. 
Well, I mean, as far as roadblocks, the biggest roadblock is is finances. You know, the last year we weren't unable to open because of you know, issues with our uh, funding and not getting, you know, the appropriate paperwork we needed on campus in time for, you know, us to open. And so, you know, hundreds of students went without our services. And in many cases, these are kids who have been with us in seventh grade. I have a cohort of kids now that are seniors who missed us their whole entire junior year. And we all know how important that is as far as college, you know, starting that process and, you know, just helping the students to, to get from point A to point B. So, truthfully, the biggest roadblock is, is staying open and, you know, maintaining the funding that we need to, to remain here and to provide all of the various services that we have across the board. And if I go down, down from there, the next roadblock is internally in terms of the capacity to work with the number of kids that need our support. There are so many different challenges that the Albany City School District is facing, and we are a staff of three, you know, permanent people. Everybody else that we work with are all part-time individuals, and what we're asked to do is huge for, you know, such a small staff, and I'm grateful that we're able to do the best that we can. Yes, but it really that this problem that you have, and I ask you this because I think it's replicated across the country. Absolutely. And it's so important. The work you're doing is so important here in Albany in New York, but it is something that we're going to have be facing in this next, in these next, at least in this next decade of all of these students at risk mm-hmm. of having these programs in place, you know, and as, of course, as a social worker, it interests me, and not having the funding or the staff to be able to continue or to provide the kinds of services that you've been providing in the past, which That's is, correct. you know, have, yeah. So I guess you're going to have to be as creative about the funding as you have been about the implementing of the program. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, and we do, you're not alone. I mean, I think uh, obviously, but that doesn't necessarily make any difference because so many of these programs that are, are really good for the students, families, communities, and ultimately our country mm-hmm. um, are not going to be here anymore if we, That's if we, we can't be creative about the funding. So, yeah. So uh, we must work, what can we do? Is there anything that we can do? I mean, is that for, for uh, as a... I guess as a community, uh, to, to get involved in, in these kinds of programs for students, for the Liberty Partnerships Rising Stars program. I love the title. It's a good <laughs> title. <laughs> well, if, if folks in, in our community are interested in, in getting involved with Liberty Partnerships, they can do so by contacting me at uh, griffinc at albany.edu. Again, that's griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-C, at albany.edu. But as far as just on a you know, global scale, if folks want to get involved, you know, find out what area, what um, organizations are open in your communities, and volunteer for those community, you know, for those organizations. And also, you know, send your students, send your kids. You know, if you're a parent and you know that there are programs like this that exist, send your kid to that program so that they can take full advantage of the services that you know those types of programs offer. So, Candy, what do we do? Go online, look it up, see if there are programs like Google Liberty Liberty Partnerships. You could Google Liberty Partnerships because, as as you said earlier, there are fifty or there, excuse me, now there are forty one Liberty Partnerships throughout the state. And on state and on the state education department's website, there are there's a roster of all of the the operating programs. So that's one way to start, including our program here at U Albany. Um, but like I said, I mean, there are so many different, you know, boys and girls clubs and a variety of different um, 
programs that provide services to students and, you know, and, and like us, don't have the capacity to, you know, serve all of the students that, that you would like to serve because of a lack of, um, you know, the, the, the people power. Uh, so that I, think, was, I want to leave us with one thing that you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, volunteering. Volunteering, volunteering is so very important. important. And it becomes so important today when agencies like yours and uh, groups like yours helping our students who are at risk don't have the monies to hire people. That's you know, there are correct. many social workers out there who are at home with their kids, who mm-hmm. aren't working full-time, who can volunteer their services. I mean, you can be very creative about that, and even one or two days a week, uh, can can save a program. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. No problem. Uh, Candy Griffin Jake, and she is director of the Liberty Partnerships Rising Stars Program, which is uh, partnered with the School of Social Welfare at the University at Albany. A terrific program. It saves the children. Have a great, great day. Thank you so much. It's been great. Lauren Della Blake, Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to World Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Hope you had a great day day, morning, enjoy your week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.